Hey folks and welcome to another episode of This Is ATD. My name is Jerry Scullion, I'm a service designer, I'm an educator and I'm a design coach based in the wonderful city and a very sunny city today and that is Dublin, Ireland. Now we are edging so close to our millionth download and it's all down to you folks. So thank you for listening, for sharing and supporting the work that we have done since 2017 here at This Is ATD. Now, if you want to go one step further, we would love it if you became a premium subscriber of This Is Hate CD. You can do so by visiting thisishatecd.com and all the money goes back to the network where we can reinvest it into building out more meaningful experiences, improving the website and also developing things out like ChangeSpace, which is a private community that is open for people to apply to now at thisishatecd.com. Now, today in the show, we have Catalina Benavia, who is the head of service design at 36.com.au in Melbourne, Australia. Now, we connected earlier this year to chat about some of the work that Catalina does in her role as the head of service design, but we really focus mostly on a remarkable project that is a few years old now, and that is a toilet redesign, or a toilet design, should I say, for a family in Argentina that quite literally changed people's lives. Isn't this a really good one? I'll stop talking, so let's jump straight in. Catalina, I'm delighted to have you on the show. We're just catching up a little bit more around your background and where you're from and stuff, but maybe for our listeners, probably a good place to start. Start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. Yeah, that's Thank you, Gary, for having me here today. So a little bit my background, I was born in Argentina and lived there uh, for most of my life until 2018 I decided to move to Australia where I currently yeah. live I whereabouts in my... Australia I'm in Melbourne based in Melbourne oh yeah the second best city in all of Australia only friends are laughing and all my <laughs> Melbourne friends are putting their fists up now Melbourne is equally tied with Sydney yes. so you've been in Australia for a couple of years yeah. and I had an email a couple of months ago from a member of your team Paul was his name and he was telling me all about you and I was like without hesitation I was like yeah I'd love to speak to Catalina Catalina sounds great Catalina is a Catalina or Cata what do you prefer usually Cata but people in Australia really struggle with Cata so I go with Catalina and then once they are used to it That's unusual with Cata they really you see the Aussies like the shortens yes they do Why but you're not? I think they need to understand where it comes from and then <laughs> then they can shorten it yeah you might be called Caro. Yeah, Caro, a lot of like, things. You know, Katia. Yeah. <laughs> well, Catalina it is so. But we were chatting before around your background in industrial design and you studied in, in the University of Buenos Aires and you were working on a project that really piqued my interest around a toilet. And I'd love to learn a little bit more around how this project came about. So yeah. tell us a little bit about it if you can. Yeah, of course. It's back in the days when I was actually doing this project, but it really marked my career and my mm. uh, way forward. So it was a startup and we were looking to solve problems for people with very low income in Argentina. At that point, 30% mm. of the people in Argentina were considered very low income. And that meant mm. that they didn't have a proper housing condition. So they're in most cases, they didn't have a toilet or they were sharing a toilet with someone else right. in the same land. So it's very normal that they will build a house 
in the backyard of their parents' house and use the bathroom of the main the house. main house. I would never have thought of that. Like, you know, when I was researching for the episode, I looked into some of the, you know, the history of, of Argentina. It's really interesting to think that that's still the case. 30% is quite a large number. Yeah, I would say that now it's higher than that. Really? Yeah. So what's driving that? Like, you know, is that across the board in all areas in Argentina or is it focused mainly in the rural areas? No, it's mainly non-rural areas. Like it's actually okay, it's in the cities. closer to the city, yes. Yeah, when wow, I was okay. working, this was Buenos Aires. Yeah, and you have very, you have people that have a lot of money living beside people that have no money. Wow. Okay, that's, this is really eye-opening for me. Like, so tell us, were you hired by a government authority or how did this come about? Like, you know, because you'd finished in... 2014, doing industrial design, a fellow industrial designer like myself. Yeah. Tell us about the kind of the origins of the project. No, the project was a private project. Um, private project. Yeah, okay. there were two people that wanted to start uh, a startup, a B Corp. So they didn't want right. to do a non-for-profit. They wanted to do a B Corp and try to make it sustainable. Hmm. And they hired me as the industrial designer for the initial side of the project where we were doing mainly research, going into people's houses, having coffee with them or mate, as we have yeah. in Argentina, Math. and understanding about their situation, their needs, their ways of thinking mainly, like where they were spending the money and how they made the decisions. And then I would go back home and design a couple of prototypes very quickly, like paper prototypes mm -hmm. would go back the next day and get more feedback from them and they will say like, no, this is crap or yes, we want this and, and so on. And that's, yeah. that was the main, the first three months of the project. Um, well, it's, it is crazy. So you mentioned there about the land prices and building a, building a house at the back of another house and using the main house's facilities for the toilet. Were there other cases where you'd seen, um, kind of other sort of scenarios of how people were using the toilets in Buenos Aires, or is that the most common one? That was the most common one. Then there were others that were also building their toilets, but they weren't hygienic, let's say. They weren't okay. uh, what we would want a toilet to for, be. Fit for, for, for purpose. Yeah. So without getting too into the, the nitty gritty of the ones and the twos, what was happening if they didn't have a toilet? Like, you know, was the sewage, what was happening to that? Like, you know, were they able to, if they didn't have a main house to work from, that sounds the, like it's the, the best of the worst case. They usually would have, school? they usually would have a main house to go to. Usually, okay. Yeah. So it's pretty normal that they had built that main house in the 60s and keep building it and growing their house and then when mm. some of the family of the kids of the family got mm. married they built a room or two in the back sure are we okay to talk about the names of the people in the project because i've got a uh, some of my notes here are you okay if yeah we're, uh, so the scenario was maria a young single mom of two with a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl and they all lived with maria's mom in a small bedroom 
separate from the main house, which contained the toilet. This meant that Maria and the kids had to go outside to access the toilet, no matter the weather. The kids brushed their teeth less often, which naturally impacted their dental hygiene, and the little one developed breathing problems. Because of this, they frequently missed school, and Kata and her team worked them to understand the situation and co-design a toilet. Eventually, they designed and built a sort of toilet in a box, providing them with a warm, safe, easy-to-clean toilet. And the little one no longer had breathing problems, and they both enjoy brushing their teeth. Well, they don't miss school as much. It sounds like a, a persona scenario of some sort. <laughs> They're like, you know... So tell us, tell us about Maria and, and the scenarios. What, what was the research like for this project? So they lived in a town called Moreno. And the first time I met them, they, Maria's mom is called Ilen. So I actually started mm. talking with Ilen first. And then Maria will start and join the conversation with us. And it was really lovely. Like you were telling the story and I just went back to those yeah. meetings with them. Ilen had also two other kids that were a bit, a bit younger than Maria. And we just sat there and have lots of different conversations. And at some point we started bringing kind of collage images so that they could build their bathroom uh, in a paper so we could see what was really important for them and what were the things that we could deprioritize to, for the cost. And maybe three months later, we got some donations for materials I did a course to learn how to build with steel frame. In Argentina, everything is built with bricks, but to mm. do it quickly, we needed to do it with steel frame. So I did a course myself and learned how to do that. Steel frames, is it? Yes. Steel frames. What does that mean? It's how they build houses in Australia or okay. in the States, but instead of wooden, yeah. it's all steel. Okay. And we built a prototype and started to bring the different parts into the house and build the bathroom with them, myself, my boss, and the and them. So, yeah. and to be very so honest, what... that one took longer than what we wanted. So then we designed our next prototype to make it shorter. Yeah. So how come it was just, um, well, it's great that you had a case study, like you had a, a scenario and a problem to work with to design for them and mm -hmm. i know in the the email from paul we're talking about co-designing it but how come there was one it was a private project and it wasn't like an industry where somebody was trying to come up with a concept to commercially you know scale the idea like how come it was just for the one family or oh, the idea wasn't that it was going to be just for this one family okay. it was the prototype the idea was then to keep going with and the prototype, scale. yeah. So with the scenarios that you had, like you had a really great kind of case study, if you want, or scenario or context building exercise, what did uh, the process look like when you completed the research? How did you get into prototyping? Like, I'm, sure, I'm trying to think when it comes to prototyping toilets, you've got a lot to work from probably in terms of what's out there in the market already, in terms of van life, people living in vans, in America, you know, yacht living where people live on boats. Tell us what the what the process was like around prototyping and how did you determine if it was fit for use? Yeah, so we looked at all of those things, but we also knew mm. that even though these people don't have a current currently didn't have a toilet, they wanted a toilet that looks like an actual toilet from a house. They didn't want one that looks okay. like a 
year to one. Or... Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so we in the ground. Yeah. So we need to find a balance between making it work for them, but also have being a product and not something that you have to build everything sure. on the side. Because the yeah. one thing that we learned is that once they, they they usually go and buy different materials and stuff and, and have it on the backyard, and then it takes for mm. them one, two, three years to build it. Because they have other mm. priorities, they have a lot of kids, they have to go and work. So we needed something yeah. that was able to be built in a couple of hours, max a couple of days, yeah. without having to really think and know how to do a toilet. It was just like plug and play had to be. Yeah. Um, but also had to look like a, a proper toilet. There's probably so, a status thing there as well. Is there like, as regards having a toilet, is a certain, you know, social status to say that yeah. you've got a toilet in your house, obviously. Yeah. So we tell us how it worked then. Yeah. So we looked for lots of different materials and and options. We started looking for steel frame at the beginning because it looked like it could be the easiest way, but then we realized that it was too heavy. With it, this one that we built for Maria, it was too heavy. Um, be transported to the place and then to to put it from the truck yeah. into the house, you needed four or yeah. five people to move each wall. Okay which you can't yeah. always have. So and it was a bathroom really as well, was it? It was yeah, as opposed to just a toilet. Yeah, it was a complete bathroom, yes. Oh, okay, awesome. Is there anywhere online that people can look at this? Is there a case study of it anywhere, maybe on the 3.6 website? or? I don't think we have it in the 3.6 website, but yeah, I, we can put it there. And... We can get it. Okay, because it'd be good to put a link in the show notes for yeah. people who are um listening or watching to be able to check it out themselves so anyway tell me i'm excited you were exploring the material choice and the the kind of process around to get something that was more implementable yeah and then we've (laughs) then we found so for the first one we did use a steel frame and the second one Mm -hmm. we found another material that is used for when you build big freezers I can't remember oh. the actual name of the material, material. Um, but it's really, uh, it's very good to for isolation and it's also really light yeah. and it's to build, it, that the purpose of that is to build rooms w- that you can okay. have. I, I will get you the name of the material so we can put it into the show notes. That's all right. No, it's cool. It's um, cool. And then, so, so go ahead. With that one, we then just kept talking with providers and we, again, I learned how to use this material and how to make sure that it was going to be safe. But with that one, and then we built it for another family. And the main difference was that in between the first prototype and the second prototype, first one took like a couple of weeks, second one was a weekend and it was all ready to go. So a big part of it was making sure that it was easy to install, I'm sure, and um, yeah. easy to, you know, build and, and so and so forth. Yeah, and that's re- not really tools were required, so we yeah. wouldn't expect them to have big tools too. Big power tools and stuff. Yeah. So as regards the um, the fundamental fundamental operation of the toilet, what happened to the waste? You know, how, how was that handled? Was that something that they had to carry into the main toilet in the house? dispose of or was there some sort of biodegradable solution that 
We looked into biodegradable solutions mainly for grey water. And then we were also looking for everything else. But in these two cases, the in the two towns, they were waste management already from the street. So okay. we could plug into there. Plug it into the street, was it? Yeah, into the actual uh, waste management yeah. of the city. Into the infrastructure. So you effectively yeah. were able to reproduce a standard toilet and the system of the toilet at a much more affordable price point. Is that right? Yes, and a much yeah. more quicker way to build it, yes. That's a win, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, look, when I got the email, and I'm just looking here, it was in June, I wasn't too sure if it was just a one-off toilet, but either way, it didn't matter, because what's really important to me, especially on the Human Centre Design Network stuff that we do, is that it doesn't have to be scalable. It really doesn't. It's just being proactive and trying to solve a problem for even that one family, Maria and her kids. If that yeah. was the story and it stopped there, I'm like, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant result. But it, tell us. It ended up pretty much there because of the situation of the country and, and the political yeah. stuff. But it is a scalable model and, and everything is ready for it to be scaled if the time comes. So how does it handle, like I, no, I notice... Uh, about the dental hygiene and cleaning their teeth and stuff. How does running water then get into the building? Is that something when you integrate with the city system, you also integrate with running water? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I had to learn a lot about yeah. <laughs> plumb, plumbing. plumbing. Yeah. But yes, one of the walls had... So we had... One wall was the existing from the house where we made a whole the door then two walls mm. had nothing in it and then the third wall had everything in it already pre-installed from us so all the pipes internally were there for waste and for running water and they just right. have to plug it in from the system that they already had mm. so in, in that scenario where you've got the main house and you've got people building eventually a granny flat in the back garden mm-hmm. Are there planning restrictions or planning authorities that manage that process? Or I'm, I'm sure it's probably not. <laughs> you're, no. you're not in your head going, go, no, it's not like that. It's <laughs> just like, hey, there's some bricks, there's some cement. We need to get something. Let's get it up and we'll build it really quickly. Yeah. So as a result, yeah. each one of those granny flats, if you want, they're very different because if there's no standards and they're just building based on, you know, availability of, you know, human power, um, does that affect the scalability of the toilet because all of the main infrastructures are, are kind of different? It does affect a little bit, but it was one of the requirements that we took into consideration. The mm. main thing that we needed was space outside the house and one wall where we could create the access for the toilet. We didn't want to do bathrooms that were completely separated from the house. That was another option because yeah. it wasn't really solving the problem of kids having to... Um, mm. walk under the, the rain or going yeah. outside just to go to the bathroom. So what, what about the cost? So whenever they're the human power of, of putting up a granny flat, if you want, in the back garden and the decision not to have a toilet, was that mainly driven by cost, do you believe? What did um, you say? It was a little bit driven by cost. It was driven mainly by needing to 
these people actually have cash flow, let's say, but yeah. they don't have savings. So putting all the money okay. all together, it's very difficult. So the way that okay. they save money is they go and buy bricks and then they go and buy cement and then they go and buy something else. By the yeah. time they are ready, the cement is has run off. Um, <sighs> so the problem is because they don't have a lot of understanding of how construction works they and they know that they have to go and buy stuff because yeah. of inflation in Argentina yeah um then the issue is that things yeah run off before they they can use it so so the cement is an expiry for people i i do know a little bit about that from my manufacturing and <laughs> i studied industrial design um so this and obviously the the climate in argentina as well it can there's quite extreme temperatures so yeah that'll, that'll quite humid in age yeah so as regards that project like that's a remarkable project for someone who was probably just out of university at that time were you i was yes. you weren't long out of yeah you were long out of university so it's been all downhill from there pretty much you're not only joking <laughs> it's been a, a really interesting kind of entry into the world of design where you were able to apply the design theory and doing and get a huge result at the start so from there you ended up in australia and tell us now you're the head of service design for three six a service design agency based in melbourne tell us about more about that agency because i hadn't been aware of three six until paul emailed and it looks like it's a really you know very socially considered and purpose-led studio if you want is that right yes it is right so 36 is quite new we just turned five years two weeks okay. ago um yeah. and joined 36 three and a half years ago so very much from when nina was on, the only consultant i came in yeah we do service design but we say that we do from strategy through to implementation using a human story yeah. design and a service design lenses and our focus is very much in implementation so from my background working with this bathroom, for example, and also from Nina's mm -hmm. background, we are both very passionate on making sure that things are going to be implemented and, and they are easy to to take, all, to take on and stick in the organizations. So we usually work with clients to really understand the problem that they're trying to solve for. And that will mean looking into customer experience, but also mainly staff, stakeholders and the organization mm. itself, and then designing a solution that, that will last for them and how do we make it stick. And most of our yeah. clients are clients that are in the HKR education government spaces. We really want to make, to, to we both yeah. want to, everyone wants to work in projects that, that we can see the impact and that, um, that has a real meaning to what we're doing. Yeah. It's funny. I'm looking at Nina's profile here. We've got a lot of people in, in common <laughs> from my time in Australia, but the team looks very kind of diverse and multidisciplinary. So I'm looking at the, the different skills. It's, it's a small enough team, but the work sounds fascinating. Do you have any other case studies of recent projects that we can talk about in more detail? I know there was some stuff there. I remember reading around COVID, is that right? Am I thinking, was there any projects in that space? Not related to COVID. No, um, that's I, another agency. Or not, not that comes <laughs> to mind, at least. 
this bit. Out. That's okay. Yeah, we do have a couple of really cool case studies. One that we've been working with a bank here in Australia, a very small bank that looks after teachers and nurses from yeah. Victoria. We've mm-hmm. been working with them for the last two years and we designed the, the strategy for them, for the whole bank. And What bank is that? Can you talk about it? Yeah, Bank First. Bank First, okay, cool. Yes. So I do remember there was a case study in particular that I was really interested in. It was yeah. the home aged care system. Okay. Were you involved in that project? Yes, yes, I, I was. Yes, to it. Tell us a little bit about that because that's something that I'm particularly passionate about, like, you know, as we kind of it's really important for us to consider people towards their end of their lives, if you want, or at that point in, in life. So tell us when was the project and what were the problems that you were trying to solve? So we had a couple of projects in home care. One was yeah. end of 2020 and we're currently working in another one. The problems that we usually see in home care um, especially after COVID in Australia, the management of the aged care sector was really difficult and people yeah. have decided to move into home care. And at the same time, the government has made the decision that they want to invest more in home care than in aged care. So a lot of these organizations are moving their business models more into home care while they still have the aged care residents. But home care has to be stronger. And one thing that we keep seeing is that people, for example, they don't know that this amazing resource exists. They don't know that they can access it as a benefit from the government once you reach certain aid. And by the time they realize this is a service that they could offer, they could access, it's not too late, but they have missed out on a lot of things already. So one big thing that we work with our clients in HDR is awareness um, and how do they get into people's lives earlier so that they can know that they are there for them uh, when that come time, time comes, sorry. So was this for one of the like service Victoria, was it? Who was it for? No, we worked with BMCH and with Uniting H Well. So they okay. are two two home care providers. Currently we're working with Uniting H Well. So one of the pieces that you said there before about three six about being focused on implementation, how does that set you aside or set you what's the point of difference there between other service design practices? And what are the skills that you have within the team that maybe other service design agencies don't do? Because I know some people only go as far as creating the prototypes and mm-hmm. the the business model and then saying, okay, we'll pass it back to the business. What does that look like from your perspective? And what did this scenario of you know the home aged care service design project, what does the solution look like and the implementation yeah. look like? So... Back in 2020, what we did for BMCH was to design the onboarding experience for the mm-hmm. for the people that were joining home care. And what we did was first we researched and we understood everything as usually we did the prototypes. Uh, but what made the difference was that then we worked with them to and the developers that they were working with to make okay. it into the CRM that they were building. We also yeah. have a process improvement. We have a, a team that looks after process improvement and process implementation. Okay. So they will work with the business to make it into business as usual and design those processes to make them easy and applicable to 
to what the client is doing and needing. So we know that CRM can look into, they can be very different, but the importance is what do the clients need it for and what are they doing and, and how are they using it. So we work really with, we co-sign every single step, but mainly mm -hmm. then we work into how do we make it real for them? How do we do something that they can solve, they can use it in the short term and to also look into the long term, but we are only focusing on the shiny bits that are yeah. going to take five years, then nothing is going to change. So we usually look into, well, what do you currently have and what can we do with your current systems and your current situation? And then how do we go into the best possible solution for the client? It sounds like there's there's a lot of interesting work happening in 3.6. And just generally in Australia, they they always seem to have interesting case studies. It's kind of where this is 8 <laughs> came from as well. But what's the hope for 3.6? Like, and what's your own purpose behind all of this? Like, what's the next wave of opportunity looking like for Catalina and 3.6? So for us, it's now the next year, it's mainly focusing on building capability and really building the our ways of working. I'm now working on a project called the 3.6 way. So that, mm. that, that includes all our methodologies and processes so that Everyone that comes on board know how we um, solve problems. Mm -hmm. Ideally, then we want to move into being able to share that with other people and be able to give these tools to to other service designers to make sure that other yeah. people are also solving problems. Once yeah. we have really nailed how to how we use it and how to communicate it, and we recently redesigned our strategy. And we want to, in our big, hairy, audacious goal, as we call it, it's in 10 yeah. years to be the go-to agency for solving wicked problems. So we want to be solving problems that are big and that are going to have an impact in the world. To do that, to be able to solve those complex problems, what are the skills that you're identifying that are going to be needed within both the client and also within the organization of 3.6? Great question. The first one, I think it's empathy and really understanding and but having a really thorough understanding of the problem, being very curious and not mm -hmm. getting a, the first answer as the this is the problem. We really need to dig deeper to understand why things are happening. Mm -hmm. And then in the other side, it's um, technical skills and it's mainly implementation skills. So because there are so many great ideas to solve different things in the world, Mm -hmm. But we need to make sure that those things get implemented. So it's looking into um, yeah, how do we translate that idea into something yeah. that that we can do. Implementation, it's an interesting one, but experimentation is obviously something that yeah. would be uh, also probably part of that mindset. To, yeah, absolutely. I know when, when I've been looking into the complexity, like experimentation is one of the, the key pieces that we, we talk about but we really just kind of, you know, it can be sometimes a throwaway comment, but it's really important yeah. to and, to experiment. Yeah, and um, staying flexible in that experimentation no? and open yeah. to what comes out of that experimentation. And not just validation, like when you see something mm. that's been experimented, it's kind of go, like, here's my baby, this is the one that I think <laughs> is going to win. And then sitting back and going, look at it, it's thriving. And you're kind of willing it on unknowingly in, in any of those research sessions. Kalina, look, we're coming towards the end of the episode. If there's people out there that want to connect with you, 
learn more about 3.6, I'll throw a link to 3.6.com.au into the, the show notes for people to check it out. It sounds like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in, in the studio. But if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for people to do that? Uh, my LinkedIn will be great. And also my email is catalina at 36.com.au. Very good. The email that eluded me this morning as well when I was <laughs> yes. looking for it in, in the calendar invitation. <laughs> but look, I end every episode by thanking people for their openness um, and just their general kind of like vulnerability of being put on the spot by me. Because I, I tend to work in a very free-flowing way and um, I let my own curiosity drive these conversations more often than not. So thank you so much for, for giving us the time and sharing your story. Thank you very much for having me here and, and for being curious about this. It's been no an worries. honor. Thank you. I'll chat to you soon. <laughs>